Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Unshot.net. The Patronage and Pluralism Forum, 10 Years On, Part 5. It's probably quite fitting that the 10-year anniversary of the Patronage and Pluralism Forum report ended in the same way that it started. In a huge amount of apathy. (laughs) When the forum was set up to gather its data, they must have been seriously disappointed that despite having a multicultural 21st century Ireland, the vast majority of Irish people that contributed to the research were quite happy with an education system rooted in indoctrination. In this part of this episode, I'll ponder on why people don't seem to care about church involvement in schools, despite the fact it's teaching them all the wrong lessons. Hello, hello, you are welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Anshah.net. This is Simon Lewis speaking and you are very welcome to the fifth part in this series uh, commemorating or celebrating, no I would say just marking the 10 year anniversary of the report of the Forum on Pluralism and Patronage. Uh, For those of you who are new to this podcast, uh, I suppose I'm going to do my begging letter at the start of the podcast. Please consider subscribing to uh, the If I Were the Minister for Education podcast as it will help other Irish teachers find the podcast or anyone who is interested in listening uh, to me talking about the primary education system. Um, If you haven't listened to the first four parts of this episode, I'd recommend that you might do so. Uh, The first part uh, talks about the history of the Irish education system in terms of religious control and uh, busts a couple of myths. Uh, The second part talks about the concept of choice. Um, The third part uh, talks about what divestment was and why it didn't work. Um, and as does uh, part four, which gives uh, goes more into examples of, of why it failed. And in this uh, fifth part, we are going to delve further into why um, really, in reality, the uh, forum on patronage and pluralism fell apart and why, uh, I suppose, Irish people don't seem to have very strong opinions on the church control of schools. Um, Ten years after the Forum on Patronage and Pluralism report was was published, it's hard to know kind of what to make it of it, what to make of it in the end, really. I mean, I've spent the last two, two and a half hours or so exploring the strange history of intertwining of nationalism and Christianity in the education system in Ireland, how the state decided it would be a good idea in the 1970s to tighten that knot of religious control on all aspects of schooling, and how there is absolutely no appetite from the curriculum people to loosen that grip despite the removal of the rule uh, in 2016, uh, which you know prevented them from doing that. But more than anything else, how little most people care about the fact that religion permeates through the entire day on, in 95% of primary schools in the country, even to the point of defending it when there are any moves to change schools over to multi-denominational bodies. Why, 
And this is questions I ask myself all the time. Why would thousands of people take to the streets in protest when there was a glimmer that the church was going to be allowed to retain ownership of a new maternity hospital on their grounds? And yet, when every year several primary schools are built with state money, there isn't a murmur when the building, when, that, when these buildings are gifted back to the very same body, the church. I ask myself, why is it that the vast majority of Irish people voted against, uh, sorry, voted in favour of marriage equality in 2015 because it was abhorrent, absolutely abhorrent to them that two people of the same sex were not allowed to be married and yet they happily allow the message that it is that the only acceptable relationship where marriage can occur is between a man and a woman is given to their children without question in the majority of schools. I ask myself, why is it that less than 50% of marriages today take place in Catholic churches, yet when it comes to schools, 95% of children are taking a vow of marriage to Christ in, this, in the ceremony of communion? The paradoxical relationship that most Irish people have with the church absolutely baffles me. And look, I can get it. I get it a little bit. You know, for example, despite the fact that I no longer practice the religion I was raised in, I definitely, for example, don't find the following things that mad. So, I don't find it odd that when a baby boy is eight days old, that parents choose to cut off the tip of that baby's penis. In fact, when my child is born, I simply assumed that would be the case. It seemed so natural to me. I mean, I wasn't going to go through the religious ceremony or anything. I had just heard, you know, and I was brought up to believe that that was a hygienic thing to do, if nothing else. You know, I mean, aren't, you know, something like 90% of, of ba baby boys in America circumcised, you know. But it actually turns out there's no evidence whatsoever that it's that, that it's really hygienic. You know, that's one example. Here's another example. And while I don't agree with it whatsoever, I don't walk in to a synagogue, for example, and I don't find it shocking that men and women have to sit separately and that women are not allowed to take part in the service particularly. Now, don't get me wrong, I find it absolutely ridiculous and I don't, you know, I don't practice this, uh, I don't practice this anymore, but I mean, I, and I find it crazy, as I'm sure you do, but no more crazy <laughs> than I feel when I see you putting your eight-year-old girl in a wedding dress you know, and I'm sorry, I mean, I know people say, oh, that's very disrespectful, but that's because you don't see it as a wedding dress, you know, but what else is it? I mean, it's designed exactly like one. And it's just, I find it easy enough not to think about those things that you might find crazy very much. For, you know, I don't find it strange having to wear a yarmulke or a skull cap on my head if I go into a synagogue. I imagine you would find it strange going to synagogue and someone telling you, put this piece of cloth on your head. You know, I don't find it odd when I see a man with peyot, you know, those little ringlets of hair coming out of the sides of his ears. You know, the very religious Jewish people, they have these kind of ringlets coming out of the side of the ears. And I don't find that weird looking, you know, whereas you probably do. And I don't find it odd that he's always generally wearing a big black suit and having a very long beard, whatever the weather, which you might find odd in the height of summer, you know, but 
I don't find this odd. And interestingly, I remember there was a chief rabbi in Ireland in my teens who didn't have a beard. He didn't wear a beard. And I remember many people in the Jewish community being deeply suspicious of him because he didn't have a beard. And I remember when he left under a cloud, as it was, people saying, Haha, he probably wasn't a proper rabbi because he didn't have a beard. Now, there aren't that many Jewish people that speak like that. But anyway, uh, none of that sounds crazy to me, to be honest with you. It might sound crazy to you, and I could go on and on and on with more and more examples of things that religions do to make the most madcap things seem absolutely normal. The only difference between my experience and maybe your experience if you're a Catholic is that never once did my upbringing have any effect whatsoever on your life or anyone else's. And really, for me, that's the trouble. Because if you have the vast majority of schools under Catholic patronage, they must teach Catholic dogma, even the bits that Irish people don't like talking about. They must insist that a woman has no bodily auto autonomy. And, forget, and, and let's forget about abortion for a second, because that might be too emotive for many, though I don't see why it should be, but even to the point of contraception. A Catholic school will not teach proper facts about contraception. Catholic schools must teach a Catholic sex education program, so they must give messages, I'm sure you're familiar with them by now, puberty is a gift from God, and so on, and they must say that sex can only occur in a loving relationship between a man and a woman in marriage, and they must say there are three people in a sexual relationship, and um, you can guess who the third is. These are just things that happen, and right now, they are the overt examples of Catholic schools. However, for me, and I think, and I've said this a number of times, it's the sin by omission for me that makes it all the easier for the apathy and acceptance to keep things going to the point that most people defend the whole thing. For example, Catholic education will never say that LGBT plus is wrong, but they will never say that is it's acceptable. They simply don't talk about it. They leave it out. For example, a Catholic school will never discipline a teacher who has a child outside of marriage, or if they're cohabitating with their partner, or if they're divorced or whatever. They simply don't acknowledge it, and they don't talk about it. They leave it out. Now, you might say at this point, whoa, 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 hold on, Simon. That isn't true. That's not true at all. My school raised a rainbow flag with Joe McKeown last year. And my school always teaches love is love. And on the very odd occasion, some might say, well, my school entered the different family same love competition. I'll talk about that in a second. But the trouble in these examples is they're not the norm. If you raised the rainbow flag outside your school when the INTO came a-knocking, tell me that you didn't make a joke that you hoped the bishop didn't make a surprise visit. Tell me that you didn't have a seed of guilt because you knew that if push came to shove, you knew this 
was an act of rebellion. Tell me that you don't think of taking it down if you heard the priest was stopping by. Tell me that you would have raised that flag 10 years ago because I can guarantee you, you wouldn't have. As someone high enough in the Catholic education system told me, sometimes you have to do things when they are easy. And raising a rainbow flag is easy because it's meaningless, really. Raising a flag doesn't mean you're going against the Catholic ethos because it means nothing more than saying you love your fellow man and woman. Yes, that powerful phrase, love is love, when you just bring it back really in a way, can be reduced by people to being meaningless by the person who's saying it. It's a lovely gesture, but when it's back, backed by doing absolutely nothing else, it's the same as sending thoughts and prayers, shall we say. It's lovely, but it's useless. It's kind of, oh, do you know the way of pride festivals um, these days? You have all the various big multinational corporations with their massive expensive floods covered in rainbows and flowers and everything else. To be honest with you, when I see that, I wonder, where were you 10 years ago? Where were you, you know, where were you when this was an act of rebellion? You're doing this because it looks good, not because you care. And, you know, what I'm saying really is, it's just, it's too easy. It's too easy. If you just do that when you're doing nothing else, what does it really mean? Now, entering the different families, same love. Now, I would, I would agree and I would concede is about the only act that can be perceived to cross that boundary. And looking at the entries over its entire existence over the last five or six years demonstrates how few Catholic schools enter the contest. It's by far, and I, I, in some ways it, it really you know, cements my point uh, when people say, ah, you're wrong, you're wrong, Simon. No, you're, you know, we're, we're absolutely included. But look at the entries, look at the winning entries and look at the entries that go into this uh, Different Families, Same Love competition. And there are so few Catholic schools represented. They don't enter it. And to me, that's the example. That's the physical example of what Catholic schools mean when they say love is love. They'll say it, but put your money where your mouth is. Enter the competition to show it. And to be honest with you, that doesn't happen. And we have to ask why. Now, before you think, you know, I, I glossed over, by the way, a little bit earlier on about, you know, people living in sin in inverted commas. Don't worry, I haven't forgotten about that. For every teacher that has come back to me to say, I'm talking nonsense, and they haven't had an, a, a bad experience when, you know, they've had a child out of wedlock, you know, I love that phrase, or they're living with their partner and they're not married and so on, and nobody cares about that. I have at least two that privately message me telling me how they know they're not, they just shouldn't talk about it. They know deep down nothing will happen, but they also know that the reaction to their news, let's say it's a pregnancy, is not met with the same level of love as the good girls and boys who do things properly, in inverted commas. So really, what's the point in saying anything? Love is love, but some love is more important than other love. To paraphrase, I don't know, um, is it George Orwell there? And this to me, 
is the success of the denominational education system in Ireland. It can be summed up as not saying anything. If you don't talk about certain things, then people don't ask questions. So to get a sort of to bring in the phrase from Northern Ireland, really, in a way, if you say anything, say nothing at all, is very true when it comes to the education system. And if you're into The Simpsons, uh, like I am, to me, the denominational system is a bit like the character, a very minor character in The Simpsons called Johnny Tightlips. He's a very powerful character doing a very good, quiet job behind the scenes and saying absolutely nothing. I may have got away there with comparing the church to the mafia just there. Did I? <laughs> anyway, maybe a better example is the American armies, a formerly, former thing of don't ask, don't tell policy back in the day. As long as you did your job, you said absolutely nothing and never, ever, 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 ever ask any questions, you should be fine. And as long as you have that veiled threat of your employment being ceased, thanks to Section 37 of the Employment Act, which allows you to be fired for potentially undermining the school's ethos, it's very, very easy to say nothing. For example, Peter Gunning, who I've mentioned on this podcast before, uh, he's a former principal of a school in Cork, had to hide his atheism until he retired. And from reading his articles, it appears that the powers that be knew of his lack of belief, but because there was this silent agreement that as long as he stood up on the altar and said what he was supposed to say, then that was good enough. Now, the critic in me always said to him, and I've said it to his face, uh, is, you know, he was lucky he was able to do that. I don't think I could have done it, but that's not a criticism of him. He had to do what he had to do. What other options did he have? However, think for yourself if you're listening to this, and you work in one of these schools. Now you are expected, and whether you like it or not, and you might, I don't know, cringe, or you might not like what I'm about to say, but whether you like it or not, you are expected to be a missionary for the Catholic Church, or whatever religion your school teaches as truth. But let's stick to the majority here, the Catholic Church. You are no different to the people that you hear about going to South America and Africa and Asia, converting people to Catholicism. You are no different to those people that bring the good news to vulnerable people in developing countries. And even if you don't believe a word of it, and you, you know, that's what you do. And you do it for 183, well now 182 days a year, and you do it for free. And many of you do it happily because it's what happened to you when you went to school. And it's what happened to your parents when they went to school. And if you aren't happy doing it, you do it because of the don't ask, don't tell rule, because you know that the options aren't great if you do ask and do tell and raise your head above the parapet. Because 95% of all schools have exactly the same don't ask, don't tell rule. Now it sounds like I'm giving teachers a hard time here and so I mean I want to extend that to anyone working in the education system and furthermore let me extend it to anyone sending their child into this education system like my acquaintance that I spoke to you about in the introduction to the very first part of this episode. Remember that patriarchy hating woman who stood at the altar the day after the marriage referendum in, um, in her Sunday best with her daughter in a communion dress? 
Yeah, I'm talking about people like that. As I said at the beginning of this rant, I simply can't understand how completely unacceptable things outside of schools are completely acceptable inside of schools. And one of my only conclusions really is the sin by omission or don't ask, don't tell. But there has to be more to it than that. I mean, even the don't ask, don't tell policy of the American army couldn't last because it was so apparent. What is it about the primary school system that makes the vast majority of the entire nation simply not care about things that are, to be perfectly frank, unacceptable? I mean, sometimes we see snippets of it, and I'm going to call them snippets of hope. Now, I mentioned briefly Nicky Murphy um, uh, uh, in, in a previous, uh, previously in this episode, who couldn't get her kid into a school around, in around 2016 because of this so-called baptism barrier. Now, for those of you who can't remember this episode, shall we say, 2016 was around the five-year anniversary of this form of patronage and pluralism. And really, up until then, it had gone absolutely nowhere with only one school divesting from its patronage, and that was a Church of Ireland school outside Ballina. And I imagine the authors of the report were probably thanking their lucky stars that Nicky Murphy came along. In fact, I remember at the time thanking the lucky stars that Nicky Murphy came along. Um, so to just to digress slightly, because I want to come back to this, I remember a number of years ago, I emailed the General Secretary of the INCO, who was Sheila Noonan at the time, about the lack of diversity in our profession. And she rang me within a couple of days and we had a really good conversation about the idea um, of a group for teachers who were from minoritized or no faith backgrounds, okay? So minority or no faith backgrounds. Now, this isn't going to sound good, um, you know, the next bit, but I am going to defend Sheila Nuna on this because I totally see where she, what she was saying. I'm, I'm, I, you know, it might not sound good, but I see where she's coming from. And I don't, and I, I, I don't think it would be fair to criticise her, um, to, be, to be absolutely honest with you. Uh, we can criticise her on, on a number of things in her leadership of the INTO, but for this, even though it doesn't sound good, I'm, I, just, I just feel we can't, um, we, can't we, can, we have to be fair and we have to see where this is coming from and where the intention was and, and actually the re- realism of it. Be, to be perfectly frank, it, it was realistic even if it doesn't sound right. So let me tell you what it is, okay? So, you know, we were agreeing, basically, um, that the group we were planning on forming would have to be anonymous, okay? And I mean, this, this was a given, you know, uh, because the, the danger of identifying anyone and the risk to their employment, thanks to the Section 37 of the Education Act, uh, which allows schools to sanction and fire anyone who fails to uphold the religious ethos of the school. And basically, as an aside to the aside, when Labour were in government, they voted against the removal of this section. So every time you hear them going on about state and church separation, please don't believe a word they say. I wouldn't mind if they apologised for it or explained their actions or whatever, but they don't. In fact, it seems very fitting that despite Rory Quinn setting up the Forum for Patronage and Pluralism to diversify the education system, the one thing he could have done that would have actually made a difference, um, he voted against it. Anyway, back to Sheila Noonan, who incidentally became a, Labour Party, uh, became a candidate for the Labour Party. Anyway, she told me about the similarities between the LGBT plus INTO group and our proposed heathen group. I'm calling it that, by the way. She didn't. So for the first 10 years or so, the LGBT plus teachers group had to remain anonymous. 
Now remember, don't ask, don't tell. That was the policy. And when they took part in pride marches eventually, because it took them a while to do that, the very few that did, they hid behind, they hid their faces in case they might be recognised. And this would be a threat to their employment. Now remember, this was not very long ago, kids. This was not, this, you were born, you know, no matter how young you are in teaching, you were born and, <laughs> and you weren't just born. This was 2000, you know, up until about, I don't know, about 2013, 2014 really is the last time I remember them hiding their faces. And a number of things ch happened to change that, as we've discussed. But the one major thing that Sheila recognised was finding, and this is where it doesn't sound good, was finding the right face to front the LGBT plus group, okay? And that person was a teacher in Kerry, she was in her 50s, and she could have been your auntie. And that was the key. I'm not saying that's right, but it's realistic, and it was the key. LGBT, uh, for the first time, LGBT plus teachers weren't just these young Dublin people with, you know, with these interesting lifestyles. I'm, this is not me speaking but it could be your auntie in Kerry. LGBT plus could be your auntie Mary, and that was the change maker. Now I told you it didn't sound good, but the LGBT uh, uh, INTO group don't hide their faces in the parade anymore. They're joined by the leadership, their colleagues, and so on. Is this disproving my previous statement about LGBT plus teachers, um, you know, not, uh, you know, and all that, uh, you know, and all that. It doesn't really, but it, it, it at least some progress, okay? So, you know, we have a situation where some teachers, not all, feel comfortable marching in pride, but um, there's a lot of teachers that wouldn't feel comfortable doing that. There, there's still only 18% of LGBT plus teachers that are out, in inverted commas, in, uh, in their staff rooms. So, you know, it's not, it's progress and it's getting there, but lots of work still needs to be done. So I was telling you this really, in a way, because going back to Nicky Murphy, basically, until Nicky Murphy came along, the people that wanted a non-Catholic education system, according to Middle Ireland, were those bloody foreigners. That's a trademark of Irish people up until 2016. Yes, if those people want to come to our country, they need to suck it up. We wouldn't go over to Saudi Arabia and demand Catholic schools over there. Hi, Bagara and Bagosh. Ireland is a Catholic country and stop the nonsense. Next, we'll have Sharia law in our schools and that'll be that. And leaving aside the Muslims, because it wasn't just the Muslims they were after. If Johnny Foreigner wanted his children to be taught in his own faith, he could go and build his own school. Hi! Bagara and Bagosh, Ireland's a Catholic country and stop the nonsense. Next, we'll have no Irish heritage at all at all in our schools and they'll stop, they'll stop us speaking our beloved Gwaelga, which ironically, they always said in English, draped in their tricolours. So, you didn't have to be a racist, xenophobe uh, to be saying these things. Most Irish people agreed, as they do now, that if you didn't like our country, well, no one was keeping you here. And then, an Irish woman and her Irish husband appeared in the media because they were unable to enroll their four-year-old into a primary school in their locality. And what was their crime? 
they had made one simple decision. And that decision was they weren't going to baptise their child. And all of a sudden, Ireland had a problem. What most people did, even if they didn't believe in God, was to simply baptise their child so they could get into their local school. Remember, don't ask, don't tell. And the Catholic Church were quite happy to be part of the charade. Don't ask, don't tell. What they didn't expect was for someone to say no. Well, certainly someone Irish and from a similar background to them. And this created huge problems for Ireland because it was one of those snippets of hope that I just referred to a little while ago. While 99.9% of people were happy to be complicit in allowing the Catholic Church or any church to blatantly discriminate against a family from enrolling in their school, all it took was for a series of variables to fall in place. First, we needed a shortage of school places, which we had, and secondly, we needed a family that Sheila Noonan would have identified as a changemaker, the Auntie and Carrie, in this case, the Irish couple. The story was one that wouldn't go away, despite the likes of all the gang in the CPSMA and the Iona, and even regular people saying, it wasn't a problem, sure this isn't a problem. I mean, I remember the CPSMA coming out with statistics, like mad statistics, but sure it doesn't affect 80% of schools at all, and only a handful of children have been turned away from schools. I mean, as if that was okay, <laughs> you know. But Nikki faced huge pressure just to... Why wouldn't you simply baptise your child? The problem would go away. But she stuck to her guns. And it eventually reached the front pages of the New York Times and the steps of the courts where a deal was done and a multi-denominational school was agreed upon, giving Nikki and her family what people call choice and what in reality was a single option. Let's not talk about choice again, eh? To me, Nikki Murphy is when it comes to writing the history of the education system, certainly from my point of view, is one of the heroes of the 21st century. Um, and I don't say that lightly, and I admire her with from the bottom of my heart. I don't know if I could have done what she did. Anyway, although the baptism barrier did finally provide the forum with a very strong argument for the recommendations, unfortunately what transpired left us back to the situation we find ourselves in today. Almost no movement. And why was that? I mean, someone wise once told me, politicians think in years, churches think in centuries. And the baptism barrier was a really interesting case of this in action. The fallout from Nicky Murphy's case became known as the baptism barrier, and I think an excellent metaphor for what was going on at the time. Ultimately, uh, uh, you know, once the Nicky Murphy case was in the media and everything else, the next couple of years were all about how we were going to remove the baptism barrier from schools. And Richard Bruton, who was the minister at the time, was charged with this and he came up with a solution that meant the Catholic schools would not be allowed to discriminate on enrolment based on their faith, but the Church of Ireland Jewish and Muslim schools could. And this solution satisfied almost everyone in the country. 
It was kind of this short-term fix that everyone now could go to their local school. And Bruton even went as far as saying that the Catholic schools, and this is where I think is, is the interesting thing, um, that they would clearly have to outline how they would accommodate children that weren't of the faith of the school. Now, this to me was, I mean, it's not perfect, but fairly satisfactory to most people. And I would concede on that. However, remember, who thinks in centuries? If you are somebody who wants to opt your child out of faith formation in your child's school, try finding out easily and clearly how that works. The powers that be in the Catholic Church insisted to boards of management, they instructed their boards of management that they would state not clearly how the child who was opted out, what would happen. Instead, they had to state that anyone wishing to opt out of faith formation would have to request a meeting in writing with the principal so their request could be discussed. Now, I've said this many times before, that all that happened really when it came to the baptism barrier was that it was moved from the front gate of the school to inside the door where it can't be seen. Remember, don't ask, don't tell. So if you're wondering why the Forum of Patronage and Pluralism failed, I would suggest that the reason is mainly to do with Ireland's paradoxical relationship with the Catholic Church. They're very happy to allow their children to go through the same motions that they went through and they want everyone else to feel the same way in a kind of don't ask, don't tell sort of way. And if Raymond Carver uh, was writing this podcast, he'd probably call it what we don't talk about when we don't talk about the Irish education system because what we are very good at doing is not talking about it. Because to many people, there is a fear that if we do start to talk about it, we might lose what we know. And most people of my generation didn't have a bad time of things in school. Sure, it's only a few songs and prayers. Sure, you don't, you don't take it seriously, really. <laughs> sure, it's only a party. And it's a great to get the family together. Isn't that what it's all about? Sure, aren't the teachers great at getting everyone involved so they aren't left out? Sure, wasn't it lovely to see little Muhammad and Joseph there, uh, you know, coming up and, 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 and saying a little saying there at the communion? Sure, didn't little Ahmed go away for the weekend of the communion with his family and they would have been very welcome at our house, sure, if they hadn't have gone away. <laughs> sure, I heard Sai went to Disneyland for the weekend, <laughs> you know, while we were all stuck in church. <laughs> sure, 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 don't ask. Don't tell. So there you have it. Uh, that is part five of my uh, 10 year anniversary of the Forum on Patronage and Pluralism uh, report. Um, and um, ultimately, really, I suppose <laughs> the way I'm going, I could have 10, one part for every year, but I, I am going to try and leave it uh, at six parts. So we've got one more part where I'm probably, it's only fair for me to kind of, I suppose, say, um, what I would do if I were the Minister for Education. After all, that is the name of the podcast. Um, if you've enjoyed this uh, podcast, please uh, subscribe uh, to the channel and maybe leave a review if you've really enjoyed it because it really helps other people to find the podcast. 
And I, I mean, ultimately, I want this uh, podcast to be a discussion. I don't expect people to agree with me. Um, in fact, if people did agree with me, I would imagine there'd be huge changes to the education system. So please, you know, argue this one out because I think that's important too. Um, I definitely would love uh, to hear from you. Anyway, um, thanks for listening uh, to this one. We'll be back uh, very soon with part six. And until then, uh, have a good week and we'll catch you then. Thanks a million. Bye bye. <laughs>